Before we start the show, just a word from our sponsor, Undeniable Press. For all your screen printing needs, located in the Corktown District of Detroit, Michigan. If you ever need any t-shirts or any other little promo accessories, posters, or whatnot printed up for you, go to Undeniable Press. They're located, once again, in the Corktown District of Detroit, Michigan. And you can uh, reach them at facebook.com slash undeniablepressdetroit. And those same guys who do Undeniable Press also have a clothing line called 20 by 20 Apparel. It's very much wrestling themed. All sorts of nostalgic themes in regards to the history of wrestling. And you can go check out their clothing line at 20x20apparel.com. That's the number 20x, the number 20, apparel.com. Now let's start the show. Fresh is the word. I'm Jim Duggan, got long wood for plenty hoes. I keep it fresher than fresh, but you already know. You suckers bummy, I'm money, I got a ton of flows. My weed loud like a motherfucking thunder roll. Your shit quiet like you ballin' on a budget though. We see your kicks and we laughing, yelling what it goes. You see me shining like a suit on puffy. You know my grind and shit is too strong, buddy. That's why the dude call money. I be stuntin' like it's nothing at all. Cause it's nothing to me, it's probably something to y'all. Trying to smoke like me, then come and fuck with your dog. Got a closet full of kicks, you can't cop it tomorrow. And I'm fresher than the freshest, you can tell it's in my essence. Bitch, you see the way I'm rapping? Yes, I do this shit to death. I tell I'm running out of breath. I tell somebody cut a check. But either way, you know it's fresh. But either way, you know it's fresh. Fresh. We fresh. 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 Welcome to the Fresh of the Word Podcast. I am your host, Kelly K. Fresh Fraser. This is episode number 80. Our guest this week is self-publishing comic book creator, Victor Dandridge Jr. He is the owner of Vantage In-House Productions and is also currently the Wizard World Artist Alley Coordinator. He has written titles such as The Samaritan, The Trouble with Love, The Origin, Origins Unknown series, and the anthology novel, Eight Minutes. Along with launching his You Create Comics line, it's a unique bridge between comics and classroom fundamentals. As you remember, Dandridge was the suggestion back in episode 75 from fellow comic book creator, Casey Pierce. During our conversation, we talked about what it takes to to coordinate the artist alley at Wizard World, the importance of Artist Alley for creators and future creators at comic conventions, making tr- the transition into being a full-time comic book creator, the idea of becoming someone important, the importance of failure, and knowing when you're finished with your project. So let's get to the interview with Victor Dandridge Jr. How's everything been going with you? Uh, not too bad at all, man. Not too bad at all. Hope you don't mind my daughter. I'm a stay-at-home dad when I'm not on the road and everything, so I got my little one here, my little co-pilot with me. It's all good. Yeah, I saw the Instagram post. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Cool. Yeah, thanks for uh, taking the time out to uh, chat with me. Of course, man. It was my pleasure. Cool. Yeah, like uh, your name came up when I was uh, interviewing Casey Pierce for the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I do a regular thing where at the end of the episodes, I ask for a recommendation of somebody who that, uh, you know, part of their career, part of their life that would have good stories. Right. And, uh, you know, when I was talking with her, she said that, you know, 
you've been, uh, you know, recently appointed uh, the coordinator for Artist Alley for Wizard World. Yes. And she was, and she was saying something about like how recently w- Wizard World was sort of uh, the the Artist Alley is almost getting forgotten amongst all the celebrities being there. You know, like you explain that. All right. So like a lot of people and it, it, it gets really deep, like it really does. Um, so I'm, I'm throwing some of my personal philosophy on the whole matter uh, into the equation. But uh, for a lot of people, Wizard World is a brand that focuses on celebs more so than the comic creators um, that are the source material that a lot of these celebs are based near their work off of. Yeah. And a lot of people have a problem with that. You know, they're like, it's not cool that you're going to put all the shine on the actors as opposed to the comic creators, you know, the artists and writers that this stuff is born from. Um, me personally, and this is kind of how I've, I've operated for a while, um, and, and I don't want to say that this is why Wizard, you know, kind of put me in this spot, but um, it's kind of like I recognize that comics as a, as a medium is very wide. Like when you say Comic Con, you're not specifically just talking about comic books, it's comic movies, comic, you know, cartoons and TV shows and video games and clothing and toys. Like it's comic everything. Right. And while I love comic books, that's what brought me in and everything, comic other transmedia outlets, movies, TV shows, that's what's really put everything on the map right now. And like you can really see it uh, when you talk dollars and cents, you know, look at Black Panther. Black Panther made, you know, more than a billion dollars worldwide. The Black Panther comic book combined, if you take all the comic books combined, I doubt they're making that much money. You know what I mean? So you kind of got to look at it and say, okay, in regards to being a a business structure, the thing that actually has made more money for Wizard World is the thing that they're going to focus on, and that's going to be the celebs. Celebs bring in any casual person. um, You know, how many people in the absence of Wizard Magazine being gone even know what comic creators look like? You know, like that's a that's a lot of stuff that people don't even pay attention to anymore. Right. So, you know, um, there is that that truth to it. But by bringing me in and, and me being a person, uh, as far as I'm aware, I'm the first artist alley coordinator that actively is a creator as well. Um, it, it's possible that I might not be the first one, but I'm the first one I can readily think of um, since I've started exhibiting at, at Wizard World shows. But um, I have an innate understanding of what, you know, the creators need, what they want. And then what Wizard, you know, is aiming to do and how to fit those things together. You know, there's a lot of times where, you know, a person has a particular mentality of what they want, but it doesn't necessarily fit with, you know, the party that they're trying to get it from. And I'm the guy that can tell you the difference between the two and how to meet in the middle. So that's that's what I'm aiming for. <laughs> As a coordinator, how do you sort of balance all of that, you know, with, uh, you know, bringing people into the artist alley you know, while, you know, that will kind of work well with everything else that's going on? It's a, it's a matter of really kind of looking at what all is there. So like, that was one of the funny things. Like one of the things that, uh, uh, my boss actually brought up once is we were talking about theming out, uh, certain markets that we go to. And he's like, well, you can't do it at every market. I was like, well, name me one that you don't think you could do it in. And he was like, well, Des Moines, we couldn't do it in Des Moines, Iowa. And I was like, Actually, yeah, you could. You could do it really easily. And he's like, how? And I'm like, Iowa Hawkeyes, right, is a, is a school up there. That's the, the um, mascot. So then we bring in, you know, people that have worked on Hawkeye comic books. You bring in Jeremy Renner, and ta-da, now you have a Hawkeye-themed show. <laughs> and he's like, oh, my God. Like, that, that actually makes sense. And I'm like, I know. So 
Um, it's kind of using things like that. So if we have a celeb that's that's on deck and they're banking on that person to be a big draw, let's you know put in the comic creators that worked on projects surrounding that celeb, so that way we can make those things happen. So like Jason Momoa has been a, a big feature recently, and we're working on um, bringing in James Obar, who created The Crow, because Momoa is going to be The Crow suit. So having them together at the same show, we're building up you know anticipation for this upcoming film. And also highlighting James. So there's a lot of things that we're doing to kind of build up the the connection between the movies and the comics that they come from. With sort of uh, people not knowing what these creators look like, mm-hmm. you know, too much anymore. How is how important is it to have this have Artist Alley to be you know a really strong thing for these uh, comic cons? It's really important, and I'm just getting started really in terms of how we want to structure that. Like, we really want to put forth more effort into creating more uh, social media posts about the creators and showcasing not only what they look like, but also their work. So people can see, you know, they can put the face to the name, if you will. Um, You know, point blank, I think if you, despite the popularity of The Walking Dead, if Charlie Adlar walked by, how many people would know who that was? How many people would know what, you know, Tony Moore looked like? You know, Robert Kirkman, like, he's on a lot of things you know, media wise, so you might know him, but those two guys are just as important, but you don't know them. So those are things that we're trying to, you know, push um, when it comes to uh, like actually having promotional material that goes specifically to comic shops. I'm of the mindset that while I like the the pieces that showcase the celebs, we need to create separate, you know, posters that only talk about the comic book creators and put those in comic shops because that's the direct market that that applies to. And so it's one of those things where, Yes, technically, it might cost a little bit more money. I mean, not that much, though, if you think about it, because how many comic shops are there in any particular market? So, I mean, you basically, instead of, like, a huge print run, you go to Staples, spend <laughs> five bucks, and you got, like, posters for everybody, so you're good. But, um, but, yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, I definitely think that the creators need to have more of a spotlight. Um, if for, for no other reason, then that's how we'll get more shine to the next, you know, IPs, the next things that, that are going to come out and make a big splash in this world. Outside of sort of the creators that will like sort of link into those themes with the celebrities, how do you mm-hmm. go about picking the other uh, content creators that you would have at Artist Alley? I'm trying to find hustlers. You know, I know a lot of people. Um, I've been in this game for a minute. I mean, like my first show was in 2004. And, I, you know, I've seen people come. I've seen people go. I've worked with a lot of people. And I'm really looking for, particularly on the indie scene, those people that don't allow the fact that they're indie to limit them. You know, that's something I'm trying to bring in because those are the people I think absolutely need that push. And I'm in a position to help them get there. So, you know, I've got, you know, people in my circle. uh, Casey is definitely one of them. So Source Point, I worked out a cool uh, independent comics deal. (laughs) I worked out an independent comics deal with them. Because, you know, they're, they're a publisher on the rise and, you know, I had the means to make things a little easier for them as long as they're aiming for a long-term, you know, format. And they were. So we got, we got them at almost every show at a, at a really nice rate. You know, Wizard makes some money. They don't spend a whole lot of money. Um, so everybody's happy. You know, it's a, it's a, you know, win-win situation. And so that's, that's the biggest thing. If I see you doing something... Um, I'm definitely going to give you that, that recognition. Like, I see you. I see what you do. You do good work. Um, but as long as you're willing to not stand there and, and have a handout and expect that, then I, I definitely will rock with you because that's, that's the thing. Like, I, I hustled hard. 
uh, to get where I was. You know, when I first started out, um, I started self-publishing in 2010. Uh, my first book came out in 2011. But that's not the thing that, that you know, drove me for the longest time because it wasn't what was selling. I did what I needed to to sell until I got into a position where I could focus on my books and then make that happen and you know, all those different things. So if somebody's on that same wavelength, we will ride together. I've had this discussion with a few other people recently where when it comes to the, the people who are these content creators that are you know, at these conventions, there's, mm -hmm. a, you know, there's sort of a difference. There's the ones who talk with everybody that walk by. Then there's the ones that just pretty much just sit there and like doodle on their, you know, on their pads or whatever, you know. How oh, important yeah. is it to engage with people? That's huge. Like that was uh, that's actually what I kind of used as my, my lane entrance to Comic-Cons. Um, years back when I first like really kind of got into it, um, I had these pixel art designs that I, that I did. Um, and I had like big giant banners and I played this game called the 8-Bit Challenge where for two bucks, people had to name 10 characters correctly in order uh, in order to win a prize. Uh, the whole point was to engage with you. Like I'm standing up, I'm looking people as they're walking by, you know, I don't want you to just, you know, pass me. You know, that's the bottom line. I'm trying to make a presence here and I want you to know that I'm here to entertain you. Like I'm trying to create an experience for you. So if I'm just sitting there with my head down, drawn or whatever, that's not, that's not gonna happen. I gotta create something for you. Right. I'm, you know, I'm still fairly new to like going to Comic-Cons. I've been mostly a part of like the, the music scene up here in Detroit, you know, for, okay. for a while now. Right. Um, but the, you know, the cool thing is, is that, um, you know, recently I've met, you know, I've met a few people who are part of, you know, the whole artist alley, Casey mm -hmm. Pierce, uh, Stephanie Menard, Dirk Manning, uh, mm -hmm. Craig C. Hayes, you know, and it's super, what's super cool is that, you know, I was able to like easily engage with all these people and, um, yeah, they're, you know, they have things that they want to sell, but I'm not getting mm -hmm. the hard sell from them. It's right. like, and that's what I really enjoyed about, you know, a lot of these people. Predominantly what you just described were all writers, right? Yeah. And what's really interesting is I have this, this theory that for writers, if we sell you something, we literally have to sell it twice. The first time is to get you to actually buy it, right? But because this is a product that you may not know, um, the first thing I have to sell is me. You know, you gotta, you gotta like me. And if I come through like a pushy salesman, you're not gonna like me. There's no <laughs> way, you know, that's, that's not gonna be fun. Um, so you gotta like me first. And then once you like me, and you like what I do, if you slap down dollars on it, that's great, but I need you to do the second sale, which is to actually spend time, you know? And that's, that's the other thing is like, um, you know, if I, again, if I'm, if I'm pushing, 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 you might buy the book to shut me up and then walk away and never look at it again. <laughs> right. But you know, and that, that doesn't, it might seem like it's helpful. Like, yes, I sold one, but the truth is I want to make you a long-term fan. You know, it's not just issue one. I want to sell you. I want you to come back and look for issue 10. So if, if I've, you know, made a mockery of myself or, you know, pissed you off in some sort of way, that's not going to work. Really? That's how you feel about it? <laughs> you agree? I like that. Um, so, yeah, like that's that's why it's important to not just be a salesperson. I mean, yes, yeah, sales are important, but to make connections, you know, uh, Dirk famously has uh, a sentiment about uh, oh, it's in his right or wrong book. And I want to say it's like finding enough people that will support you long-term 
and you're basically a rich man because you'll never be short of any yeah. particular fan base. So it's it's he's right. He's absolutely right. I know that you know for these comic cons, uh, the celebrities bring in the people, bring in a lot of the revenue, but Artist Alley, you know, you know what? How important is that to the whole grand scheme of the uh, the Comic Con? Is that the heart and soul of it all? It's not only the heart and soul; it's low key the future, man. Um, this is okay. So, I work with Wizard World, and one of the things that I keep telling people that have ever, you know, had a rocky experience with us um, is that the one thing that I really hold on to and maintain is absolutely true. And one of the greatest parts about Wizard World's Artist Alley is the fact that we don't curate your presence. If you have the funds to get in, you are allowed to be there, um, whether that's an attendee, whether that's an exhibitor, whatever. Um, and unlike other you know, premier institutions that do curate, that means that they're not allowing for new talent or undiscovered talent to really kind of find a foothold. Wizard World is like, OK, look, if you feel like you can play, it doesn't matter what scale or level you're at. Come on in. Test yourself. If you feel like you're ready, come in and try it. You know, there's nothing to stop you. <laughs> exactly. That's how I feel. So, you know, that's that's the important thing. That's why Artist Alley is so important. It's not just a matter of, of maintaining the status quo of who's important and who's not. It's a, it's building up uh, the next generation of creators. It's how they'll get to, you know, be discovered, be found, share their work, uh, make their own fan base. Uh, and meet people like it, like networking each other like that's why it's important. It is not just the heart and soul of Comic Con; it's low key the heart and soul of comics. You know that's how you build that next generation. Yeah, I see when I'm you know the few Comic Cons that I've been to where I'll see someone like Casey or Stephanie or Dirk talking with people who want to know knowledge about, mm -hmm. and they're really helpful in giving them tips and listening to them. You know, how important is it to have those people a part of Artist Alley? Um, I think that's phenomenal and, and such an integral part of not only Artist Alley, but um, for the culture of, of camaraderie that we have. Uh, it's, it's funny. So, like, I'm in Columbus, Ohio, right? Now, we have a longstanding joke that, you know, between Ohio and Michigan, there's definitely rivalries between sports and stuff like that. We <laughs> love that joke. Um but it's important to me to kind of put aside some of that, that rival aspect or that competition aspect and really see what my peers are doing. You know, if we didn't, if we didn't talk to each other, if we didn't push each other, um, and certainly you only share that information with those people that really seem genuine and want to use it, um, because the goal is ultimately to promote myself, to push myself. Um, as I always say, steel sharpens steel. So... If I do something that's that's fire and I tell you to do it and you do it better than I do, then it's my turn to kind of see what you <laughs> added to it and then add to that, you know. Um, musically speaking, I mean, like you said, you're part of the music community. So let's look at hip hop. Hip hop started with a very, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know you're a hip hop fan. Right. <laughs> uh, very, you know, uh, Dr. Seussian kind of rap format. Yeah. And it just grew and built on complexities and then. I mean, one of the best that ever done it, Eminem, Rap God. That's one of the most complicated, beautifully executed raps I have ever heard. But it's built on the foundation of something that was simple that somebody else just added on to and added on to and added on to till it was M's turn and he got to put his spin on it. So 
you know, that's that's what the goal is, is to share this information so that we all find ways to get better. Yeah. And when you were, you know, sort of talking about um, how like the, you know, the content creators are the future of everything that did also remind me of 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 the hip hop culture, where mm -hmm. at one time the producer was very much unknown. Right. But then eventually they became artists themselves, you know. So I, you know, I like kind of picking apart these sort of parallels that I see in the um, in the comic book universes with the, oh, the man, music industry. Oh man, they're huge, man. They are they are some of the biggest pieces ever. Like I saw something the other day that was saying that, uh, and it was funny because like I have an art background as well, uh, but I predominantly function as a as a writer. But uh, they were like the the writer is the rapper. And the artist is the producer. And I'm like, eh, nah, flip that, scratch that, reverse it. It's actually the other way around. The writer is the producer. They're the ones that make the beat that, yeah. you know, they send to the artist. And the artist has to find a way to, to spit a nice hook on it. That's what the visual piece is. So, like, I like the correlations. There's lots of people that do it. Uh, I know I've definitely done it. Uh, you know, there's a conversation that we had not that long ago uh, in a black comics group that was talking about how everybody wants to be the Jay-Z or Kanye of comics. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. Sometimes, though, it's best to be the Diddy of comics. Now, a lot of people are like, ah, oh, nah, Diddy ain't nothing. Diddy spoke it best. Don't worry if I write rhymes, I write checks. <laughs> he makes ways for people. And for me, like, that's what I say I am. I'm the, I'm the Sean Combs of the Comic-Con <laughs> community because I'm going to make a way for people. That's what I'm here for. Uh, I'm here to take that, take that, take that, and there you go. So absolutely. <laughs> All right, let's speak about your um, your company, uh, Vantage In House Productions. How long have you yeah. been doing that? I've been doing that full time since 2010. Like I had a uh, nice cushy state job, and uh, I was like, man, I can't stand this. Like this whole <laughs> nine to five thing, it sucks. I don't like it. And so I uh, I quit. <laughs> exactly, you know it. Um, I quit, and it was the funniest thing. I, I love telling this story. My father who is one of my biggest supporters like ever in life right now. He might be tied up there with my mom for sure as my number one fan. Like not even, I, they go back and forth. They, they <laughs> battle. It's real. Um, but he was adamantly against me quitting. You know, it's a state job. Like that's the only thing better than that is working for the federal government. And, um, it, you know, I was making good money. I had a family and he's like, you cannot quit to just make comic books. And I told him, I was like, look, I'm going to make you eat those words. Within a year, I'm going to make you eat those words. He said, bring it. He said, but in the meantime, don't ask me for nothing. You know, if you're going to make this move like a man, you're going to stand like a man. I said, that's the only way I know how to go. So I quit, and I've not had to take a non-comic-oriented job in seven, almost eight years. So I've been running my imprint full-time, doing conventions full-time. Wizard World hired me last year. Um, I'm a teacher. I uh, started an imprint called You Create Comics that is all about programming and products to help people make their own comics and also feeds into classroom dynamics. So uh, I teach, I'll do summer programs uh, at libraries, conventions, all over the place. So everything just kind of has built to be this, uh, this whole model of, of me constantly doing comics. And it all started 2010. Man, God, <laughs> that was such a great time. Now, now that's very interesting. Let's talk about that. That um, that transition you made from mm -hmm. going from a state job to dedicating your career to comic books, like just for your regular person listening to that, 
what, what, what goes into that? You know, what actionable items can a person do to be able to make that transition if they wanted to? So the thing is, is that you can't go in half cock. You got to think stuff through. Uh, I'm a big thinker. Like there are times where it looks like I'm not doing anything and I'm literally sitting there thinking, just plotting out what this move is, what it's going to mean, how it's going to go, this, that, and the other. Um, I worked for the state for like five years. So I had a decent retirement uh, already saved up. So when I quit, that was my plan. Use the retirement money to, to launch this business. Uh, but part of launching that business meant, you know, let me pay my, my, my rent for the year. You know, let me do that. Um, let me, let me, you know, get coverage in certain aspects. Like I, I was telling people, I work for a department of workers compensation. And so I was telling people all the time, I was like, why don't you apply for workers comp? And they're like, what do you mean? I was like, well, it's like a form of insurance of sorts where if you get hurt in the, in the act of doing your job, um, it's covered. And they're like, well, how does that apply? And I was like, I don't know. Let's see how many comic book artists have you ever heard complain about their back because they're sitting at a drawing table all the time or they have carpal tunnel, or their eyes are going bad. These are all facets of what their job is, and it will be covered under workers' comp. And they're like, what? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. Um, the fact that what we're doing is pretty much clerical uh, means it actually has a low rate of risk to it. So we're one of the cheapest you know, pieces that you can actually apply for, um, and it extends itself to even like, because comic conventions are part of us doing our job, it covers that. So... If I were on the road on the way to a con and I get into a car accident, that's a form of workers' comp coverage because I was in the process of doing my job. And so, you know, trying to hit things from that angle, like how can I be smart about this um, and, and do what I need to do? Um, you know, like I said, I had a family, you know. Um, I had two boys uh, and, a, and a daughter at the time. Um, it's extended now to, to far more than that. We've got five total, including oh. this little sister here. <laughs> how you doing? Yes. Um, I was willing to, to sign up for food stamps because I technically didn't have income. So I was eligible. So I did it. You know, there's a lot of people that would look at that. Oh, no, no, no. I don't want to be on food stamps. Listen, it fed my children. They are they are very happy. They've grown. They're giants now. So I'm not worried about it. <laughs> and I worked my butt off to the point where now I'm ineligible for food stamps. Like, that's a beautiful thing to me. I'm that guy that, that <laughs> tapped into the system. What? I know. I tapped into the system and then used it like I was supposed to, to the point where now I don't need it anymore. We now have a, a new house that we bought two years ago. Um, it's a beautiful four bedroom, newly renovated spot right around the corner from my grandmother. So, you know, family is a big thing for me. Uh, find your base, you know, definitely have your base with you. Uh, that's family, that's friends, that's a support group. Um, Cause there are gonna be times when you're all by yourself struggling, trying to figure out why am I still doing this? Um, if you can't find that answer for yourself, sometimes you got to look at others and see how your moves are inspiring them. Uh, I can't tell you how many times, you know, my family has said that they're like, look, it's amazing what you do. You know, there are times when I feel like maybe today might be my day, but now I'm like, I'm not ready. It's okay. That's cool. As long as you know that it's possible, that's what matters. You know, that's, that's all that matters. Everything that you just said is like really awesome advice. Is this something that you readily like tell people oh yeah oh yeah um it like my story is one that when you lay it all out and it's so funny because i was just thinking about this this past weekend when you lay it all out it actually is like a comic book like it's it's nuts the way it's like a comic book <laughs> um if you don't mind i will tell my origin story right Go now ahead. <laughs> okay here we go so 
When I was a kid, I hated reading books. Like I despised it. Books were, they sucked, man. Like you couldn't get me to read Huck Finn. If you put a gun to my head, it was like, read this. I'm like, nah. Right. Uh, <laughs> but all that changed with the death of Superman. Um, I was tapped into pop culture enough to know, like I didn't read comics, but I knew who Superman was. Yeah. And the idea that Superman could die, I'm like, I don't even know how that happens. I must read this. And so my mother, overhearing me say that out loud, was like, done. Comes home, stack of comic books, gives them to me, and is like, read these. And I've been a comic book reader ever since. So fast forward like a year, um, by me being into comics, and it got me into to reading more, writing, and then getting into drawing, it connected me more with my father's side of the family where, you know, I was a skinny little kid. Like, I mean, I'm skinny. Like, right now I got some shoulders. It looks like I do some things. I didn't have these <laughs> shoulders when I was a kid. Like, nah. Uh, so, uh, like, they were such a sports, you know, heavy family that we didn't have anything that we really connected on. So I was kind of, you know, a little bit removed from my father's side until the comic book stuff came in. And then all of a sudden we had stuff to talk about. And I found out that three of my uncles could draw really well and they would sit with me and we would draw, we would come up with different characters. So it actually like helped build my family to be even tighter than we ever were. My youngest uncle um, was a really strong advocate for supporting me, like huge advocate. Um, and like literally a year after I got into comics, he was brutally killed. Three teenagers attacked him out of nowhere um, and he was stabbed to death. Oh, and as as a almost 11 year old kid, I did the Batman vow by candlelight that I was going to make my way in the comic book industry somehow, some way in honor of him. And it's been my guiding force ever since. Like, that's been me. So he's my Uncle Ben. He is absolutely my Uncle Ben. Right. Um, and what's crazy, man, I kid you not, I can't you can't plan stuff like this. Um, the day he was attacked uh, is March 17th. Um, so St. Patty's Day, crazy. Uh, in 2006, my youngest son was born on that day. So that's already taken that day back for my family. And then in 2010, my very first solo published book ever, um, I got in the mail on that day. You know, so it's one of those things where it's like, that's how you, that's how you, you know, uplift somebody. That's how you remember them, uh, memorialize them. Like I created in his honor and I got it on the day that he died. Like you can't, I mean, you can't make that stuff up. Like that's just, wow, that's real life. That actually happened, you know? So like, that's, that's part of my story, man. Like, it's just, that's the stuff that happens, you know, um, off of this past weekend, craziest thing in the world, uh, a redemption story, 14 years in the making 2004, my very first wizard world show. Uh, I had never exhibited before I'm behind the table. It's Friday. I made a hundred bucks. I'm feeling like the greatest thing in the world. You couldn't tell me nothing. Like $100 <laughs> was a lot back then in my head. Um, right, right. And right, you know, I'm <laughs> feeling my salt right now. And we're we're doing Barcon at the Hyatt Regency out there in Rosemont. And I see Joe Casada, newly minted as, as editor-in-chief, running around. I mean, he had a couple years in, but he's like walking around and he's looking like he's looking for somebody. And I'm feeling myself. You know, I had a good day. I know who he is, so I'm going to speak. I'm like, Joe, who you looking for, man? He goes, somebody important, and then walks away, right? Like, <laughs> everybody that was around me was like, oh, that's dirty. Oh, he dogged you. And I'm like, no, he just gave me a goal. Be somebody important 
that Joe Quesada is looking for. That's right. my goal now. 14 years later, fast forward. I'm artist alley coordinator at Wizard World Comic Con. Not too bad. Uh, I, I snuck, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, into C2E2. And same scenario, bar kind of, not quite after hours, it's like midday. And I'm walking through and I see Mark Wade. And I've known Mark for a few years. And Mark has just as befuddled of a face as Joe did. And he's just looking around, looking around, looking around. And I'm like, Mark, are you okay? And he stops and he goes, oh, oh, Victor, Victor, Victor. How are you? No, I'm fine. I was, I was thinking about something and I, I lost my train of thought. And I was like, you look like something was wrong. He was like, no, no, no. He's like, thank you for checking on me, but I'm good. How are you? You know, how's the family, blah, blah, blah. And we're chatting and it just kind of stuck. I was like, wow, here we are 14 years later. <laughs> A, a seminal creator like Mark Wade, I stop him to see how he's doing. And not only does he know my name, we spend the next like five, six minutes chatting it up real quick before he goes on about his business. So now it's not just somebody that I, that, you know, you just walk by. I'm actually somebody that these guys speak to. So I'm on my road. So watch yourself, Casada. I'm about to be somebody important. Watch. <laughs> when you think about things like that and just see where this whole progression you've made during that time, you know, what, what goes through your mind? You know, what, what are you thinking about right now about those early, early years? Uh, I'm very proud of, them. you know, the struggle was worth it. You know, anything that I didn't have, anything that uh, I, I failed at, totally worth it. You know, when, when you come back now at this point and you see how everything has, it's asking me, not you. Uh, <laughs> and when you see how everything is built and, and, you see how when you put in that work down here and you stick to it, no matter who's with you, who's not with you, and you keep going, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. You know, that's why I tell you, if you're in your basement grinding, keep grinding. Because the moment you step out into the light, it will feel so much better that you spent that time doing it. That's Kanye. You know, five beats a day for three summers. Yes. You mentioned the, you know, the word failure in that. How important mm -hmm. is failure for the process? Oh, it's absolutely important. It makes you appreciate everything. Um, I've had projects that I've tried to do, projects that didn't launch. That apartment that I said that I paid off for a year, I lost it the very next year because I didn't have the right money at the right time. Sometimes you got to take a step back to leap forward. I'm all for doing that. Sometimes if you're really smart, you do it on purpose. Um, otherwise, you, you take it as you go. Uh, but failure is just as important because you can't really appreciate success until you know what it's like to not have it. You know, um, if you always win, it's, it's nothing. You don't really get it. So, yeah, I love a fail. I love a fail. <laughs> you just mentioned something about taking a step back on purpose. You know, talk more mm -hmm. about that. So um, let's see. So there's a book that I did um, called The Villain. And. When I, when I wrote it, I was heavily inspired by one of my greatest mentors and my newly minted friend, Mark Miller. Um, he had just done Nemesis. And Nemesis was like two issues in. I'm so inspired that I do like an homage with this book called The Villain. And it was, it was an interesting sort of piece. Like the guy I was working with had never done sequentials before. And it definitely showed in how the pages came through and I had to build stuff together. And it was only eight pages. Like, I like doing eight-page stories. And it, it was out for maybe a year. But I hated it. Like, in rereading it, it didn't flow well. I was trying to be Mark, and I didn't have my own voice, and I didn't like any part of it. 
So I decided to pull it. And so I hadn't produced it probably within like two years. And then I redid like the cover. Um, I had, you know, intentions of actually re-releasing it. And I looked at it and said, you know what? No, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that at all. Uh, I'm going to wait. I'm going to, you know, flesh out this story longer to make it what I need it to be and, and make that something that will be far more interesting and beneficial uh, to both my resume, my readers and everything, the creative process. So to me, that book is a fail, even though there are other indie publishers that have actually asked for it. Um, I've Ooh. actually let there's a there's a group out of um, Springfield, Ohio, um, uh, Twilight Star Studios. They ask could they reprint it. I said, go for it. I mean, they love it. They absolutely adore it. For me, I don't like it so much. So for me, that's a, that's a fail. But it's one that I recognize other people like. Other people might learn something from it. So I don't hesitate to, uh, you know, talk about it, even though I don't like it. Um, you know, any any of that stuff is is good stuff. Right now, um, I'm working on a on a follow up book called Never Too Late, and it's the follow up to uh, my book The Trouble with Love that I did with uh, Harold Edge, and he's back for the for the sequel, which is great. And we've just finished all the, the line work for issue one. And I lettered it. Um, we're waiting for it to get colored. But um, I sent over a preview copy to a couple people, including Mark Miller. And, you know, some people in his camp that I'm close with uh, read it and gave me the riot act. They was like, <laughs> no, this is confusing. This is bad. This is that. Take this page out, blah, blah, blah. And mind you, like, I'm a self-publishing guy, right? So I'm still, I'm footing the bill for all this. So they're like telling me to ditch pages that I've paid for, you know, that's harsh, you know, right. for, a, for a lesser creator, a, a, a immature creator, that's grounds to cry. You know, this is like, I quit. I'm terrible. I suck. Um, <laughs> getting that feedback. I literally went back, like I printed out all the pages, grouped them by scenes and started playing around with it editing wise. And now I have an even better story. You know, the way that it comes across is even better. Uh, I only lost one page by doing that and and really kind of shaping things up. Um, but for all intents and purposes, that first initial version, that was a fail. You know, I own that. You know, it wasn't as powerful of a story as I thought it was. And I, somebody had to tell me that I didn't even see it myself. I failed at seeing that I could push this even further. Yeah. And so, um, you know, that's, again, own those failures because it's really how you get better. What is the best way for for anybody, whether they're new in the game at whatever art they're doing to bounce back from their uh, failures? Um, remember that everybody fails. You know, there's things that like Jim Lee every once in a while will post pictures. Uh, uh, Todd McFarlane will do it of all the rejection letters that they've received. And when you see legends in the game getting stacks of letters saying that they're not good enough, but finding that they, they found a way to push through and got there, um, you know, that's it. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's 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 everything. Um, I remember, like, I went to Columbus College of Art and Design. I only stayed for, like, a, a semester. And I went back <laughs> to see some friends, and they were like, can you say something to, you know, this new group of, of artists that we got coming in that are comic book friend or fans or whatever? And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, I tell you what, um, who is the worst comic book artist in the game right now? Funny enough... Almost hands down, everybody was like, Rob Liefeld. I was like, okay, that's how you feel. I get it. It's a joke. It's good. I got you. How many more books does he have out than you? And they're like, oh, Ooh. oh. And I was like, remember that. 
you know, as much as you say this guy fails at his art, he's got infinitely number more books than you do. And you know his work as soon as you see it. Recognize that. Even in failure, this man is a success. That's how you keep moving. You know, you find a way to make do um, what you needed to do. You know, you don't stop. When, when you're sort of working on your own thing, how do you, how do you, you know, realize that you're at the, a certain point when, you know, this project can be finished? I know you're never going to be totally satisfied, hey. but, but when, <laughs> but w how, how does it feel when you're like, okay, I think this is ready to go or almost ready to go? So can you curse on this? Are you allowed yeah, to curse ahead. on this yeah. stuff? Okay. So I do what I call the fuck around and finish. Um, <laughs> and it's where I work on multiple projects at once. And I'll do a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit here, a little bit there until I suddenly realize, oh shit, I fucked around and finished. Like I didn't realize that I had done the whole thing until it's already done. So that's one of those things where um, it, keeps, it keeps things fresh for me and I have maps of where I want everything to go. And so when I hit that point, that's a stop. You know, that's, that's basically what it is. Like um, as soon as I did that thing that I was aiming for, then we can go ahead and shut it down and not overwork it. Yeah. Um, I'm good for, you know, backing off um, when I feel like something is, is, is set. So it's almost like having preparation, but also having other things to work on at the same time. Absolutely. Absolutely. So like to have the combination of prep and inspiration work together, uh, that's how you'll do it. Because like I said, there'll be times when you'll have a map and you'll get a certain, you know, a sudden burst of an idea and you want to go in a different direction and you got to be able to, to be open to that. But at the same time, if you don't have any idea of where you're going, you'll just work and work and work and work um, and it'll never get there. Uh, I do a panel called the VIPs of self-publishing. And the very first one is know the difference between an idea and a story. You know, a story has a beginning, middle and end. You have a structure to it. An idea is just this loose thing that can just pop off and you get stuck with the and thens and it never really goes anywhere. So, you know, if I only operated off of and thens, then I wouldn't have nothing, not a thing. What is your workflow like in terms of, you know, working, but also having sort of rest and leisure. You know, there's some people who just like, feel like you always have to be working mid, right. you know, burn the midnight oil. But how do you, you know, how do you feel like, you know, rest and leisure, um, you know, accounts into it all? Um, you got to find the time to do it. Um, I struggle with that all the time. I mean, you know, I've got five kids ranging from ages 15 to seven months here. And we have a healthy showcase of going to the movies. We'll go out to dinner. We play video games together. We try to eat dinner together every night. Um, but that midnight oil is a necessity. Like literally, I was up till two last night working on a project. Um, that's just the way things work for me. Um, I, I, I go by the hardest working man in comics. And a lot of people like, they give me crap for it until they're like, well, what all do you do? And I'm like, well, I've got an imprint, artist alley coordinator, I teach this, that. And they're like, oh my God, you really are. Okay, that makes sense. Um, but it's really just finding the time to do things, the inspiration to do things, and having the tools to do them when you need to. So like I have this beautiful, you know, uh, iMac computer that we're talking on right now. What? what? You're so great. Um, <laughs> but I also got an iPad Pro so that way I can be in the living room with my daughter if I need to, but still get work done. 
um, I'm good for writing on my phone when I travel to a comic con. You know, I'll be at the airport or on the plane, jotting down ideas. That's where I am. That's what I need to do, or I need to get something finished. So that's me. Me and Google. Oh my goodness, we are like this. You know, I got <laughs> Google Docs on my phone. I got it on my iPad. Right. I'm always finding a place to work. Um, you know, it's one of the greatest things in the world because. Inspiration comes at any time, and I have so many things that I need to do. I have to be able to work whenever I can. So, I mean, it can literally be on the store ride to the, you know, or on the ride to the grocery store. I got an idea, whip out the phone, da 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 da, da and put it away, you know, figure it out till later. And then usually, you know, um, like I said, I'm with my daughter for the, for the day. So come around six o'clock, um, we try to do dinner, uh, hang out with the family till like nine or 10. When everybody else goes to bed, I'm up for at least another four hours. So it's just finding a way to do it all. Um, you know, a lot of people are like, man, you're going to run yourself dead. And I'm like, you know what? For my family, it's worth it. You know, this is this is my dream. You know, I got to drive like I'm chauffeuring it. Ain't that right? <laughs> exactly. Right. Exactly. In order to sort of manage the time between family and everything that you have to do in your career, what? how did you build that foundation to be able to, you know, manage the time properly? Um, by accident, totally by accident. I can't even <laughs> act like that was on purpose. Um, uh, I'm a king procrastinator. Um, I do recognize though that when I get into a flow, don't stop, you know, don't stop the flow just because, um, you know, that's, that's, a, that's another big thing for me is like when I get into a zone and I, I'm guilty of it, like just like Mark Wade was walking around and he had that face, I'll have that face and I'm just in the thing. Uh, luckily my lady, she understands like, when I get into that space, just leave him be. He'll be all right. You know, he's not mad. You know, it might look like he's upset about something. He's literally figuring something out. Right. And as soon as he does, he'll, he'll be back. He'll be fine. Anytime you're sort of in that sort of procrastination mode, is there any sort of like outer accountability that you need to have to be able to troop on? Um, yes and no. Like it depends on the, the thing. So obviously uh, as artist alley coordinator, uh, the show schedule is one that is an external factor that says I have to get this done. So I can't just wait on that. Um, I do have a little bit of leeway as uh, as a publisher, as a self-publisher, that no one else gets to tell me when my book is due. I just do it when I want to, and that allows for things to happen. Um, really, though, when I get into a place, there there is a place that I call like the static. And you be quiet. Uh, the static is when... I'm kind of locked out of my own head. And so to be creative isn't there. So what ends up happening is like the left brain takes over the right brain side and I start to think more structural. How do I manage marketing? How do I add to um, you know, my production line? How do I think about comics as a, as, a, uh, as a business venture as opposed to a creative one? And so when that happens, those are the things that I do and it tends to relax the right side so that way I can get back into that flow of being creative. Those things that nobody, you know, can tell you what to do, like, uh, you know, publishing a book. How do mm -hmm. you sort of finish those if, uh, if you don't have any sort of outer accountability? What inner accountability do you have? I want to tell that story. You know, I want other people to see that story. Um, I'm egotistical. Like, I mean, I call myself the hardest working man in comics. You can't be a quiet dude and call yourself that. <laughs> so it's basically one of those things where I want to tell that story so badly. And I want you to say that it's so good that I'm going to finish it because that's the only way I'm going to get those accolades. 
you're only as good as your next album, not your last one. So, you know, for me, you know, to finish it, that's the thing. Like, I got to I got to put it in people's hands. You know, uh, the the Trouble with Love sequel, Never Too Late, took me three years to write it, like just to write it. It's looking like it's going to take another year for it to be actually finished and produced. But because of the success of the Trouble with Love, I really, really, really want to test myself and see how well I do on a sequel. You know, I've never written a sequel before. So can I do it? Can I maintain that same energy? Can I bring something better? You know, can I top what I did the last time? All these questions are enough to feed my ego to be like, oh, I don't feel like writing. But you know you want that outcome. And if you want that outcome, you got to put in that work. And I'm like, okay, you're right, you're right, you're right. I'm going to go do that. I'm going to go do that right now. So, it's yeah, it's a, it's a duality. you got to figure out how to manage yourself. Um, but being honest with yourself, that's the key. I know I'm egotistical and I want people to pat me on the back. Ironically, whenever I ask somebody to read my stuff, I tell them to tell me what's wrong first. Uh, <laughs> it's just my weird way of, of not looking like I'm egotistical or actually seeking, am I actually that good? Um, or if I come to you and say, hey, can you tell me what's wrong and you don't have anything, then I've done something right. You know, as I'm telling you, I'm looking for something wrong. So I'm already putting you in the mindset of a negative. If that's not what immediately comes to your head, then I'm doing my job. Along with the, the sequel that you're talking about, you know, what's next for you? What does the you know, future have and hold for you? Ooh, let's get some jewels dropping right now. All right. So <laughs> we've got our first flagship title, uh, issue one of Vantage. Um, it's, it's actually being wrapped up right now. Like literally today, I got a message from penciler uh, Jacob Newell that he's wrapping up that first issue. And anybody that's followed my work knows Jacob's name from the Origins Unknown series. And uh, he's coming He's coming back for Vantage. Um, we work very well together. We're going to pull that off, make that happen. Um, we've got more books from our All Ages series, Wonder Care Presents the Kindergartians, coming out. Uh, in fact, for Free Comic Book Day, we're actually bringing back the uh, activities that we created in the first issues um, as an activity book. Like, we're putting it all together uh, as this nice little repurposed, you know, collection of sorts that a lot of people are looking forward to. Um, I've created my own superhero team called Safeguard that's actually going to be uh, like backup features, just uh, four-page shorts. I got Scoot McMahon on, on board for doing the, the artwork for those, so I'm very excited about that. And we've got approximately six other titles that we're going to be launching over the next two years. All right, so fantastic. lots of stuff coming. Awesome. Lots of stuff. <laughs> Awesome. To uh, to close out this uh, interview, uh, I did uh, you know let you know that there is a, a question that I always ask people at the end of the interview. Who is someone that's a part of your life career that I could realistically interview that would have some great stories to tell? So I've got a lot of people that I could throw out a name for. Um, and I'm going to throw out a couple at you. Go ahead. But I'm going to end it with the person that I absolutely want you to talk to. Um, so first and foremost, I got to say my brother, Mike Watson, is definitely somebody you should talk to. That's who I actually started in this game with. Um, I wrote for his uh, imprint, Freestyle Comics, writing his flagship title, Hot Shot. And I'm actually coming back to write uh, his first major crossover event called the Zero Event. Uh, we'll be starting that uh, within like the next like three, four weeks. Um, so he's definitely somebody to talk to. He's been in this for a while. We got lots of history together. Um, I'm going to say somebody who I don't know as well but we've actually had some really great interactions, and I really think that he is a creator to watch. It's Josh Dahl. Um, he's out of Boston. Very cool guy. Um, very interesting cat. Like, like we did a podcast. Uh, he has a podcast show, and I was on his. 
and uh, we just vibe really, really well. And uh, I really like him. Uh, but the person who you need to reach out to, the person who I'm absolutely co-signing as, as the guy is Jacques Nayem. He's out of, uh, out of North Carolina. Uh, he runs Not So Super. Um, it's a comic imprint that's, it's crazy the way that he calls it Not So Super Comics, but they are freaking amazing. Like they really are great books. Um, slice of life stories, not necessarily your fights and tights kind of thing, but it's interesting to see uh, a young creator um, doing that. Like it's, he's a young black creator at that. Like he's actually originally from the Cameroon, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. And um, is bringing like a different view of black comics. Um, and that's a big talking point. You know, diversity is huge these days. What? Can I talk about Jacques, please? Thank you. He's so cute. <laughs> um, that's, a, that's a big talking point, And that's something that um, he's bringing such a, a vastly different view of what it means to be a black comic creator. He is definitely somebody to speak to. So Jacques gets my number one pick as somebody to speak to. Absolutely. All right, great. Thanks for the, the suggestions. Of course. Um, this has been a great interview. A lot of great information, a lot of Thank great you. actionable items. Like, like I'm, it was really you know, fun to talk with you. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, man. And your daughter. Yes, I know, right? <laughs> Troublemaker. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah, th uh, that's about it. Yeah, thanks for uh, you know, you know, chatting with me, and uh, good luck with everything. Oh, right back to you, man. Fresh as the word is hot. I'm a, I'm a fan now. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> great, great, great. Thanks, man. If someone wants to find out more information about you or Wizard World Online, where should they go? Of course, of course. At Vantage In-House is where you can find me on all forms of social media, yeah. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Definitely hit me there. Um, every week I do a video review series called Black, White, and Red All Over on YouTube. Red I Art. I know, it's your favorite show on the internet. I know, you're so sweet. It's R-E-A-D, um, and that's actually what put me on Mark Miller's radar. He actually features the show on his Miller World website, um, so that's a blast. Uh, you can also find me co-hosting uh, the Hall of Justice podcast with Seth Everett, um, so I'm, I'm everywhere. And then look for me at a Wizard World near you. I'm a I'm running artist alley. I'm a celebrity moderator. So that was my interview with Victor Dangerous Jr. He'll be coming to a Wizard World convention near you. I think I'm going to uh, try to make it down to the Columbus Wizard World the second weekend of June. Now on to the fresh is the word fresh pick of the week. This week's pick is an album that cannot be ignored. Book of Ryan from Detroit hip-hop artist Royce the 5'9". Without any expectations going into listening to Book of Ryan, it exceeded any vague idea I might have had tenfold, a hundredfold, a thousandfold. It's scary that after all these years, Royce the 5'9 just keeps getting better, getting more personal, getting more deep on each and every verse, song, or album that he does. The Book of Ryan is such a personal album, probably one of the most personal and transparent hip-hop albums I've heard in a while. Royce doesn't waste a lyric. Every word means something. He doesn't even need to rap. He can just talk and make a track hot. He's not just telling stories or rapping. He's exploring his life throughout this album. Nothing is tied up in a nice little bow in the end. It's just a documentation assessing how his past has affected not only himself, but his family and everyone around him. It's definitely something you need to, talk, to listen to, even if you're not a hip-hop fan. It's such a deep and personal and very 
emotional album. So go ahead, go listen to Royce the Five Nines, Book of Ryan. It's on all the streaming platforms. You can purchase it. It's definitely worth your time. So that's it for this week's edition of Fresh is the Word. Just to remind you how you can support the podcast. You can always go to freshisthepodcast.com and you know share any of the links that you might see on the website and any of your social media. You can subscribe to the Fresh is the Word on Apple Podcasts by just uh, you know searching Fresh is the Word. Please give us a, a rating, hopefully five stars and a review. And if I see it, I'll definitely talk about it on the show. Oh, we're also on Stitcher Radio, Mixcloud, SoundCloud, Google Play, and TuneIn. Just search Fresh is the Word. It'll pop up. Hit the subscribe button or the follow button or whatever. You can also follow me, KFresh, on Twitter and Instagram at Kelly Omega Fresh, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash KFresh. And also, you can follow Fresh is the Word on Twitter at FITW Podcast, on Instagram at Fresh is the Word Podcast, on Facebook as facebook.com slash Fresh is the Podcast, and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash Fresh is the Word Podcast. Once again, thank you. Thank you again for listening to Fresh is the Word. Goodbye and good night. Fresh, 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 fresh is the word.